Welcome to the Noble Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, CK Lin, former tech executive turned entrepreneur. This podcast is about purpose and what other people have already figured out. My intention is that you use these lessons and insights to have more impact, more prosperity, and more joy in life and business. And maybe one day, you even join our tribe. Today's guest, she has been the organizer of Red Lightning, one of the most spiritual theme camps at Burning Man. She is the co-founder, CEO of Rich Nuts. If you want to learn more, go to richnuts.com. Please welcome Samantha Coker. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, Samantha. It's exciting to be here. It's my first time doing one of these, so I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, why don't we go right into it? Um, Burning Man is very special. I know that you've been going for a long time. Since 2011, if I recall correctly, yes. 2009 was my first year, actually. Yes. Wow. So 2011 was my first year in leadership. So 13 years. You have you ever took a break, or uh, it's 13 years straight? I did not go to the two rogue years. So the okay. two years that Burning Man officially didn't happen, we didn't go those years. Got it. And it was nice because my birthday is at Burning Man. So I had two birthdays not at Burning Man in 13 years. So so, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my third year. Mm-hmm. And during my third year, I have thought to myself, hmm, do I want to come back to this? So as a veteran who's been going for 11 years, well, two-part question. One, what's Burning Man to you? And two, have you ever encountered a moment where you thought about, hmm, I wonder if this is the last year for me? Those are two really good questions. Um, the first question, what is Burning Man for me? So my life in and of itself has been a really big personal journey of healing and growth and evolution. And Burning Man, first and foremost, was like, and people say it's like coming home. And it was, it was like, oh, there's other freaks like me in the world. Like a place where I felt not only that I belonged, but I was, I was part of a tribe, mm-hmm. part of a tribe of uh, interesting, genius, crazy, creative misfits that found a place called Burning Man where they belong. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it, it was a beautiful coming home as I said, as everybody says, uh, it's, it's like coming home. It's also a place where I feel you can really explore being the most expansive true version of yourself. If you want to mm. really lean into something, do it at Burning Man because you have mm. permission and you'll have a supportive cauldron to feel through what it might feel like to lean into parts of yourself that you might not have permission to do so much in the default world. Um, mm. So that's what really Burning Man has been for me. It's also been, so for me, I, I leaned into leadership. I leaned into, can I really be a leader? And there was a group of people at Red Lightning who wanted me to step into that. They saw skills in me that I was too afraid to test out in the real world. Uh, and it really gave me a platform to learn to lead. Um, mm. So that's what Burning Man is for me. And the second question about, have I ever thought about not going? Usually in one of those moments that everybody has at Burning Man where you're challenged and you're struggling and Mm -hmm. really hard and you're, for me, it's, again, it's, it's a cauldron. It's an alchemical space to really lean into things. So for me, it's like, 
I'm bumping up against something within myself. So this year it was the heat. It was so hot and mm -hmm. the generators were breaking down and our redundancies broke down. And it was like thing after thing after thing, not working. And it was so hot. And there was a moment where I'm like, I'm not coming back to this place. <laughs> okay. So after 11 years, this was the year that really tested <laughs> well, you? It happens almost every year because mm. if you let it, it will challenge you in ways you need to grow. So I ask myself in those moments, what lesson am I supposed to learn here? What really mm. can, am I rubbing up against that I can, that I'm being challenged with, that I can learn that can help me grow in a new way, that can help me bump up against challenges in life? in the default world. So of course I'm going back. <laughs> um, I, I was, it was nice to have a reprieve for two mm -hmm. years. I had my 50th birthday off playa, but, but it is part of my life and it's hard to contemplate not going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This year was really hard for me. The heat really got to me as well. And, um, I experienced my, uh, whiteout moment where I didn't have goggles or light or, you know, I had a broken bike. So basically everything, all the tools I had just stopped working. So oh, did they the, stop working or you didn't have them? I just didn't have them. Because oh, I, no. I, I was too overconfident. I was like, yeah, you know, this is not going to happen. It's going to look at this weather. It's beautiful. And then, of course, you know, moments later, uh, I, I, really, I was really tested and I couldn't breathe because the, of the sandstorm. I was like, oh my gosh, I could. So I experienced a moment of panic, like, mm -hmm. oh, and overwhelm. And in that moment, I, you know, had a brief moment of panic and then, and then I surrender. And then I just started laughing about the predicament I put myself in. And, and it's such a learning moment for me, like where else in my life where um, I was overconfident and I was not prepared. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it was, it was definitely a big teaching moment for me this year. Well, that's beautiful that you did that. And is, that's a skill that you have to be able to say, wait a minute. What did you say? You surrendered and had a laugh about it. Like, okay, that's great yeah. that you can do that because a lot of people can't. I mean, that's a big part of Noble Warrior, this podcast, really. Like, how can we, uh, part of who I am, I don't know if you know enough about me yet. Who Part of who I am is I'm all about lessons and insights and learnings. And hence why I conscientiously put myself in situations where normal people would say, oh, wow, that's crazy. Why do you want to, you know, see the intensity of a Spartan race or ayahuasca journeys or Burning Man? Because in my, uh, from my perspective, those are the places, uh, cauldron, you call it, alchemical spaces, you call it, <clears throat> where we can learn the truth of who we are because we're tested there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that's beautiful. I, I I don't know if you remember Richard did a podcast. Rich from Rich Nuts did a podcast from you. Was it two years ago? And mm -hmm. really inspired by the work that you do. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah Rich is important to get out there. Oh, thank you so much. So, Burning Man is a cauldron of transformation, uh, alchemical space, as you call it. Um, so, inside of that big container that's called Burning Man for eighty thousand people, what is a thing camp? What is the role of a think camp to you, someone who used to be the mayor, the organizer, the managing director of think camps? What is a think camp to you? Yeah, so basically the gist of the theme camps is because it's a co-creative event, it's a participant-driven event, the Burning Man Org doesn't 
put all these events on. It's not like going to lightning in a bottle or another festival where the festival producers get venues together and produce all the venues. Mm -hmm. Instead, they say, here's a canvas you paint upon it. So the theme camps uh, fill out a questionnaire and say, we want to come together and we want to put on workshops or roller derby or the orgy dome or whatever it is that they want to put on out there, you know, opulent temple or, uh, so the theme camps are really the groups that put on the programming at Burning Man. I mean, so they are, but they're really, they're, they're the clusters, the families of participants who camp together, who then bring in interactive interactivity or interactive events so that you have something to do when you go to Burning Man. So what's, what's, what's your position on um, a conscious camp or a spiritual camp or, or intentional camp? Because for some people, Mm -hmm. um they kind of roll their eyes when they think about oh, conscious camps or like uh, the kind of snobby people or whatever like that's what they have i have i have heard that before mm -hmm. um so i'm curious to know your from your perspective what is the difference between um spiritual camps versus just you know regular camps yeah that's actually a really good question and i think you get the eye roll because as with every community with every dogma, with every group, there are the loud ones that do a lot of pontificating and posturing. Mm. And then there are the ones who just walk the walk. Mm. And I, I find at Burning Man, there are camps that I would consider walking the walk. And you don't really, I mean, some of them you could consider like a spiritual camp, and some of them you wouldn't consider a spiritual camp, but I would consider the way they approach their work has a spiritual note to it because of the intentionality and the mindfulness with which they approach their leadership or their community or even their programming. Um, mm. Because the front banner might say, you know. Hey everyone, just wanna take a quick break to ask for your support. As you know, I don't run any ads or sell anything on this podcast. The only way I can continue to bring you inspiring stories and ideas is if you help me spread the word. By rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast, you can help even more entrepreneurs and leaders to discover, express, and amplify their purpose. You can help them have a better relationship with themselves, trust their intuition, and pursue things that bring them more aliveness in life and in business. It only takes you a few seconds to leave a review and it means the world to me. But more importantly, it could change someone's life. So if you have a moment, please rate and review this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for your support. Now back to the episode. come roller derby or pink heart or something else like pink heart pink heart is a is a is a shade is a pink fuzzy shade structure and they hand out ice cream mm -hmm. but the way the intentionality they were our neighbors from red lightning for many years the intentionality mm -hmm. with which they work and with which they engage each other and with which they build and they come to the playa 
I consider them like a deeply spiritual group of people. Now they don't necessarily meditate or pray or go to church or whatever, but they're in alignment with the values that I feel in my spiritual world they align with and they actually do the work where the rubber hits the road. I find mystic to be very much like that, uh, camp mystic, um, where they do put on spiritual programming. And I find this a very middle of the road camp, right? Where they do programming that is spiritual in nature and that, in that it's, it's, um, uh, evolutionary work or, or workshops on how to expand yourself, how to do healing work, that kind of stuff. But then also the way they approach things, not everyone in the camp is spiritual, but the way they approach things is very mindful, um, is very conscious, very awake. And then you'll get some camps that do a lot of woo-woo talk and a lot of woo-woo programming, but it's a disaster on the inside. It's a lot of infighting and a lot of politics. And that happens a lot. I mean, it's hard for that not to happen at Burning Man. So when you find these camps like Pink Heart, like um, Mystic who've been around for 20 years, uh, you know, they've lasted because they have a very grounded, uh, conscious way they work together. So does that answer your question on what a spiritual camp is? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, spirals. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's, you know, take, take the language out. It's the level of intentionality. Yes. You know, if someone who's really intentional, I mean, in many ways, I've never experienced Orji Dong myself, but mm -hmm. I, I have friends who you know, are fans, right? They yes. go all the time. Yes. And then they come back and tell me how they do certain things. And I was like, oh, wow, they're very intentional about how they hold that space as a, as a container. So then, you don't have uh, riffraffs coming in and disturb the space. I was like, oh, cool. That's, you know, to me, it's a matter of intentionality and in, 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 in thought, but also in practice. That's the way I think about these type of camps. I really appreciate that. Um, yes. And I, I would lean towards intentionality and mindfulness, which I guess are kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like really paying attention to their impact on mm -hmm their own community on the community, who's coming in, who are their neighbors. And so, yeah, the intentionality, the mindfulness around their impact and how they're doing things. And it's funny, like you say, and, and even as you said that, I was like, yeah, spiritual isn't even the right word, but that's thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I completely get what you're saying. So inside of that, I know that red lightning is no more. But what was the, the, the meaning of the name and what was the specific intention of redlining when, you know, doing the, doing the evolution, right, from the birth to the, the finality of what it is? Yeah. Well, what it red was. lightning had such an interesting history. So my first year at Burning Man was Red Lightning's first year at Burning Man. And mm. I came in with a man I was dating and he was friends with a group of the people who were formulating this camp. And this camp was a few people from Entheon, which was a very large camp at this point, Sacred Spaces, uh, Venice Vibe Tribe. There were several different clusters that had come together to create this camp. And as I recall, because I wasn't a part of this process, so the story I heard in several versions, which may be partially accurate and partially not accurate because I've heard it in many different ways. But the way I heard it the most was that there was two different groups of people. There was a group of women who came together and wanted to put on a camp really about 
feminine leadership about uh, the blood moon mysteries, um, which is about the women's cycle and the cycle of the earth and women and have that be connected to this Native American um, ethos that I don't know much, can't, I don't know enough to speak about, right? But that was what it was grounded in. And there was a group of men who were connected to these women. I believe it was Brock and Brad Nye um, who said, let's build a really deep spiritual, intentional, conscious camp at Burning Man. And uh, Brad Nye, who's very well known in the community, who's like one of the best networkers, connectors I've ever met, also knew these women who wanted to put a camp together and, and, and bridged this. And I've heard two different things about the story of the name Red Lightning, and I don't know if either of them is true. One was that uh, there was a Native American myth about Red Lightning and the earth scorching itself through the sky in order to heal. And then I heard that that may not be what the myth was and that there was another myth. So if I tell you the story, I'm going to tell it to you wrong. But those were the stories that floated around the camp in the early years that I heard. So um, I don't know any more than that. <laughs> um, but what the main intention was in the first few years was really bringing insight and awareness into what we call gender alchemy, which is balancing the masculine and feminine. We had men's mm -hmm. circles and women's circles, each in teepees every day that were deeply and profoundly healing for people. And we also had a, a woman's lodge that was specifically for women mooning on the playa, women having their mm -hmm. cycle on the playa. Mm -hmm. There were stories of women who hadn't cycled for years that walked into the moon lodge and started cycling again. There were women who were infertile who got pregnant after visiting the Moon Lodge. There were so many extraordinary stories about women who had really been healed in and around their own stories and histories, sexual traumas, um, shaming traumas around their own menstrual cycles and things like that. There was also a tremendous amount of healing with regards to the men's and women's circle and the gender alchemy circle men healing a lot of emasculation that they had gotten from their mothers and the women in their lives, women healing so much trauma from men in their lives and creating this bridge in between. So deeply, deeply healing for a lot of people. And then the other, I mean, we had loads of workshops that were extraordinary that people got a lot out of, but the other really big piece was a woman named Sonia Sophia who does, she's one of the world leading EFT practitioners. And she would do two hours of workshops a day and people would come from all over the world to Burning Man to sit with her for five days. And I would get emails, dozens of emails every year after Burning Man about how their lives were saved sitting in her workshop. So Red Lightning kind of became, and especially for me as a, as a young leader learning to lead, it became, let me build you a platform. Let mm -hmm. me build you a beautiful space built by a wonderful crew of people who want to create a space for healing and you guys do your magic. So mm -hmm. we look at all sorts of different incredible magicians, <laughs> magic healers or people with so much wisdom who would come into the space and heal people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether or not at least the arc that I took Red Lightning through uh, matched with the original intention. I, I don't think it did, but I think there was so many different intentions and I just tried to create a space and allow whatever 
would flow through would flow through. Um, you know, and, and, and leaders came and went. Several of the original women left after the first year and then some continued and Brad continued and some of the core men in the group continued. Uh, the core, there was about a core of 60 to 70 people mm. who some came and went throughout the years, but there was a core group that literally just loved building a beautiful space. Jeffrey Collins was an architect, is an architect, but he would do these luscious spaces that even even our camping spaces were beautiful in design and layout and 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 we just cared about lovingly building a space and letting the magic makers do their magic in it so it was kind of again like two different groups of people there's magic makers and 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 the rough and tumble builders so i don't know if that answered your question but <laughs> no, i mean i i i i so my first year at Burning Man was 2017. Mm -hmm. I understand that that was the last year of Red Lightning. Correct. And the moment that I encountered the Red Lightning space was like 2 a.m. And, um, and I walked in and I saw this immaculate, beautiful space with an open mic. The mic was still on at 2 a.m. There's no one there. So I went up and I, you know, did my talk and, you know, make some noise. And But what I felt probably was a a lot of intentionality behind um, the space design. And the day after I uh, came and sat with a workshop with the Mankind Project. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. So anyways, my point of mentioning all that is um, the intentionality of the space design is, is very palpable, even when there was no one there. Mm, thank you. Was that the mandala? Uh, I'm not sure. Was that the big space with the orange... Uh shade above and little yeah yeah there's lots of different like triangular shapes above mm -hmm. and uh there was an open mic and it was a big space that could house like i don't know three four hundred people or something yeah and i i so i want to mention that structure for a moment and and also talk about the cultural appropriation issue so when red lightning started there was a group of women who were very connected to the native american space and had been like lived in several communities that were African, uh, sorry, Native American communities and had permission to bring the teepees and had depth and knowledge and wisdom and brought the teepees. And as we continued with the teepees, this is before there was a lot of conversation around cultural appropriation, but then it was really like, I loved the teepees. They did so much for me, but then we started to understand that like the people who had held the original teepees, most of them weren't there anymore. And there was a couple, there was two people specifically who held the teepees that were uh, given permission by their native tribe people that they were connected with to bring those to Burning Man. But we, we builders, we Red Lightning leaders weren't connected in that way. And so what we ended up doing was leaving a couple of teepees for the men's and women's circles for those two people to basically hold and run. And I created that mandala space. Mm -hmm. as an honoring and as a thank you to the teepees. But it's why we specifically didn't use traditional teepee poles. We, we, we did a, a suggested of a teepee circle, but without any, but without canvas, we tried to say an honoring and a thank you and an art piece honoring to a teepee circle without using anything traditional. And, and we really believed, and Hannah Natali, who decorated that space, made it so luscious what we then is we merged that idea with the notion of a mandala above and and turning each sacred 
a suggestion of a TP space into a representation of each chakra. So we could actually turn it into something different while just nodding our head and thanking the TP circle without actually culturally appropriating anything, or that was the intention behind it. And, and I'm so happy that that landed on you because that really was about an honoring of a space and come and come and create. So I'm so happy that landed on you. So Samantha, you you mentioned the concept cultural appropriation. So this is not why I want you to on uh, to be on Noble Warrior, but this is something that I think about a lot because um, I'm a student, I'm a practitioner, I'm a student of ayahuasca as an example, right? I'm, I'm Asian. It's not part of my lineage, uh, and and I'm a I'm deeply uh, have deep reverence for it. And at the same time, I also see this is CK the scientist talking now. Um, holding on to tradition too tightly um, stops innovation and growth in, in their own evolution, right? But, but also don't pay uh, homage and, and, and reverence towards it. That also disrespects it. So finding that middle ground, I really appreci appreciate how you articulate your um, trying to nod, paying homage at the same time, not just hold on to the traditional way of doing it. You're evolving from that. Can you say a little bit more about, you know, at what point is cultural appropriation, right? A Westerner using a Native American concept and benefit from it or whatever uh, versus not. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? As a white person, I'll give you my perspective. So mm. if you think about the Buddhist culture, the Hindu culture, you go to India, everybody wants you to wear mala beads, mm -hmm. right? They're very happy for you to learn about yoga and breath work and meditation. Mm -hmm. And many people have come to the West over centuries, what well, decades and then centuries, right? Depending on whether it's Europe or the United States or mm -hmm. the Americas, to teach people um, yoga, breath work, meditation, all of that. It's great because it's helped people. It's helped people evolve. And we've turned yoga into an exercise. Right. One of the things that I learned, there's uh, some of these, like uh, the, these original Tibetan breath work, which became something else over the years. We all know the, you know, breathe in one side, breathe in the other side, right? Like this. And you use your uh -huh. hands, use your fingers like that. Well, it was originally done with your thumbs. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the lung meridians are in your thumbs, but mm -hmm. it was changed for the West to make it a little easier like that. So they found that some people doing it a lot was having a lung issue on one side and not the other. Mm. So yes, you don't want to hold on to it too tightly where people can't learn from it or where, or where your culture isn't continuing to expand, right. And, and grow and thrive. But the people taking it and, and evolving it want to make sure that they understand it deeply enough mm -hmm. so that if they do evolve it, they don't create harm down the road or they don't take the whole point of it and turn it into just an exercise workout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're missing the whole point of yoga if it's just a workout, right? So with the Native American cultures, I had this conversation with one of the elders that came in 2017. And I, to be clear, I stepped out of Red Lightning in 2017 my concern was it was taking on too much and um there was just 
we were not in alignment. So I thought I'll go and do my own thing uh, rather than creating discord in leadership. Um, so I was, I, but I was there visiting the camp and visiting with one of the elders and we discussed cultural appropriation. And I asked him this question. I was like, what about all the curious young people who were curious about your culture, who want to honor your culture? He was very concerned about the man who had run into the fire and, and the fact mm. that we were bringing fire to the desert and not doing it properly. And we had this conversation and there are elements that I believe as a white person who is not native, Richard is native, so I have a connection, but I'm not native, so I do not know what their experience is. But I, I do fear that holding on to it too tightly will do as you say, it, it could kill it off mm -hmm. and discourage people. If people knew more then they wouldn't wear the headdresses for a mm -hmm. party. If people were allowed to know more, they would light a fire with intention. But when it's no, you can't learn because you're white and you'll be disrespectful. And they have every right to feel the way they feel because mm -hmm. their culture by our government has been utterly demolished and destroyed and is still being utterly demolished and destroyed. Right. So there is still no honoring of the treaties. There is still destroying of their sacred land so we can get oil. So, you know, it's kind of like saying to a woman who's molested or raped, you know, get over it. The guy's just hitting on you because he wants to date you. Like you got to let her heal before you can just throw a dirty joke at her and want to try to get her out to go out on a date. Right. It's like we need to honor the healing process with the Native American culture before we try to push them too hard. So this is a three hour conversation, <laughs> but it's a really big and important conversation and it's far more nuanced. Oh, for sure. Uh, certainly, like I said, well, I wasn't planning on having it, but since you mentioned <laughs> it, I might yeah. well ask because yeah. I know that you're, you know, you're very sincere and earnest in learning about different cultures and, and different transformational modalities. You're very respectful in when you architect transformational spaces, containers and so forth. Thank you. So hence why I wanted to ask that question to you. And one question that I will ask the elders, the indigenous elders of ayahuasca or, you know, Native American or whatever their lineages is, is that very question. Because what I sense from them, this is, again, it's totally a side conversation. What I sense from them is there's a desire for their culture to proliferate still mm -hmm. in 2022 and beyond. And they also want to control the narrative <laughs> very tightly. So there lies the, mm, the, the paradox, the, right? The paradox, right? How do you, you know, allow your culture to thrive at the same time you want to control the narrative very, very tightly? It's paradoxical. Don't we all do that when we're in that kind of fear and pain? Yeah. You know, and, and it may have to start with a massive healing process and, who knows if the perpetuators of that pain are ever going to be able to acknowledge on the level that is needed. It's, it's going to have to take a big healing process. Yeah. Uh, different conversation, bring yes. it back to Burning Man <laughs> theme camps. So one thing that we had talked about is the level of scope or ambition. <laughs> when the camp organizers are too ambitious, uh, 
chances are, you know, force or, you know, disaster happens, right? But so, so I'm curious now from your perspective as the mayor of five years, what would you say, what is the right level of ambition slash scope? Well, again, you, you always ask such great questions. Um, that's going to depend on the camp. Um, mm. And ambition is always great and scope is always great. For us, Mike, the experience I've had on the playa, you can have a 30-person camp that's unbelievable and fascinating and interesting. And we live in this culture and age where everything needs to be bigger and better. It's got to be Vegas Strip. It's got to be like <laughs> the biggest, coolest thing ever. And, mm -hmm. and that's awesome. I mean, it, it can be incredible. And you could probably have a 500 person, you know, well, well, size of scope doesn't necessarily equal the amount of people in your camp, but at Burning Man, it does only because of size and space and the amount of people to do the work. Mm -hmm. um, what I think is more than size or scope, because I really, you know, when you, and I talked about this the other day about a conversation, I really wanted to sort of meditate on it. And what I think it really is, are you a community of people who are birthing something and bringing something out that inspires you, that nourishes you, and you have the support and team to do it? Mm. Or is this a big agenda put on the crew by somebody else that mm. the crew aren't really behind and don't feel supported in doing? And that's, mm. that's kind of, you get, I've seen this happen a few times where you get a group of people who like want to do a burning man camp and they do a burning man camp and it's awesome and they grow and they get bigger and they do bigger stuff and it's awesome. And then all of a sudden ideas diverge and some people go like, you know what? We don't want to do this bigger. We want to be with our peeps. So mm -hmm. let's scale down. Let's just chill. And then there's another group going like, no, we want to do this bigger and better and bigger and better and bigger and better that's where mm. things start to divide. And so often what, what I really see is the breaking point is when a camp becomes a brand mm -hmm. and that brand is at odds with its tribe. So it's mm. either this tribe keeps building this thing. That's a brand that that, you know, Oh, well, we got to keep up appearances because we did this last year. We got to do bigger. We got to do better. We got to do different with like, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to put on this year? And one of the things we used to do at Red Lightning, which was really great, is our first call every year is like, okay, here's the theme. What do we want to do? And we would brainstorm and we'd popcorn. And actually, um, you know, different people would come up with different ideas about, oh, I want to do this little thing. And we would always have our workshops and our workshop space, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes it'd be like, oh, this is the theme. So let's do that thing. Let's do the, and it was really bubbling up from the bottom what do we want to do? What do we want to put on for our tribe at Burning Man? And what do we want to bring? What are our skills that we want to birth forward? And, and for me, as, as a lead at the time, because I wasn't the, I wasn't the programming designer, I wasn't a structure designer, like I wasn't, I, I did eventually design the mandala, right? But I wasn't, I was just like, what do you want me to produce? that worked really well. And then it, 
there was a few people who really wanted the bigger show, the bigger show, the bigger show. And then it became a push and pull between like, gosh, do we produce the bigger show or do we scale it back? And we, you know, we had to have votes in the community and this is when the community started to pull apart. And, and right at that time, there was a few people from Entheon who go, this is exactly what happened with Entheon, right? And I wasn't part of Entheon, so I don't know that story, but it was like, do we go bigger, bigger, bigger? Do we go smaller, smaller, smaller? And it kind of pulled apart. So I, I see that happening on the playa. And, and again, like look at Playa Alchemist. They do an amazing job. Mystic does an amazing job. And the question I, you know, I would say, I would ask if I was leading that community, is your tribe, is your build crew, is your main core crew nourished and thrived? Do they love it? Do they love doing this? Or are they like, uh-uh, too much? And that's, mm. that's, I think, where the crux point is. And again, like, you lean in at Burning Man. You try something. If it screws it up, you have a chance to do it again next year. But I think that I think I often see too much emphasis on the big show and mm -hmm. where the big show can be great. There are so many fascinating, amazing little some of my most magical moments at Burning Man have been in the smallest, coolest camps. And I don't even know, like, what are we doing in this camp? But it's awesome. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, to each its own. But I would say, are the people building it? feeling nourished and loved and loving yeah. it. Uh, I used to be the chief cultural officer of a company of 250 people. Uh -huh. So part of um, my one big lesson is what you're pointing to is the feedback cycle about are your people feeling nourished or are you just putting on and product at the cost, at the sacrifice of your crew. So mm -hmm. that's a really, really beautiful point. Um, let's talk about governance a little bit because okay. um, some camps, I think Pinkheart is very a single personality based camp. My understanding of it, I've never been there, never talked to a healthy Halcyon, so I don't really know, but my impression is that mm -hmm. um, versus some camps are more bottom up, right? Mm -hmm. Democratic. So um, when there's tension of different opinions, a like bigger, 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 no, smaller is better. How did you resolve, um, you know, is it majority votes counts or is it, you know, super majority? Is it a single person's benevolent uh, dictator says, no, we're going to do this. You know, then the rest just get a line behind it. How did you, you know, make decisions, difficult ones when yes, you were so there mayor? Was, there were certain times, uh, there were certain things like, are we having water delivered? Mm. Where... I would have to listen to the crew and listen to people and then look at the budget and then say, okay, well, it was some, and if it was really, if it was a 50, 50 split, I would have to make the decision. And if, and, and I had, a, I also had a core team. I usually had a core council of like four, three to five people. Right. And, and we would usually kind of go through like, God, it's really split down the middle of what people want. And, and then we would make a decision. And that decision usually would come from like, budgetary or something else and then mm -hmm. we go back to the community and say you know look this is really this is the decision we had to make it was pretty split down the middle um and i remember there's a couple of people like there's a couple of people whose opinion were really really mattered to me um for instance our friend jeffrey collins who was the 
the architect, the designer, and, you know, every once in a while, like it would lean a little bit away from his opinion. And I'd have to go to him and be like, Gio, we're going to have to decide it the other way. I'm really sorry. Like if there were people who were like really core members of the community who, who leaned a little towards the minority side um, and the majority really wanted something else, I would make sure that the people who really had put enormous amount of time and effort and work and whose opinions really like mattered and we had to go the other way, I would make sure I would have a big conversation with them as to why the decision was made the other way. Um, when it came to the big one about scope, I ended up, so there was like a core group of about 70 people and we started to have this thing where it was the core council when things started to get really like, oh, it's two big different directions. And if you had been at Red Lightning and been on build for two years or more, and um, you would either committed to, there was like several criteria, then you were considered part of the core team. Um, and then you vote, we had a vote. And we had an entire weekend workshop about whether we were gonna scale up or scale down. Cause I was listening to the groundwork and then some of the leadership really wanted to scale up and most of the ground crew wanted to scale down. So we did a two day workshop at my house and we played games and we did brainstorming and we did all these kinds of things. And at the end, everyone presented their position and we had a vote and the vote was 79% wanted to go considerably smaller. Um, and then when the leadership started to push significantly larger the next year, it was like, we're going to just have to split. It's just going to have to be an amicable divorce. Right? So, so where I stepped out and then the, in 2018, um, about 40 of us put a pod together called the mystic, uh, called the cosmic heart temple. And we went to mystic. So that's pretty much what happened. And then red lightning took a year off. And then a couple of people went to Brock and said, Brock, let's bring this back as something different and did uh, Red Lightning Blue Thunder. So it ended up being just a split because there was enough of a, a separation where it just need like, great, go do a big show. We'll go do something smaller. So mm -hmm. it, at some point, then maybe it needs to be a split because people want different experiences on the playa and it's not better, worse, and it's not right or wrong. It's just what experience do you want to have? And if you've got a group that wants to experience a significantly different than what your camp is doing, then maybe you go do a different experience and, and it can't be like, we're betraying the camp by leaving. And it can't be like, Oh, you're, you're going to break us because you're leaving. It's like, look, it's burning man. <laughs> you know, we're going in a different direction. So, I mean, that's what we did and then it didn't work. So we just had to split. So, so quick question. So quick question there, because we talked about intentionality from the very beginning. Yeah. For example, the birth of the United States it started with that declaration of independence. And then you had a series of documents that crystallized the intentionalities of the birth of this nation. Right. So I know that chemistic, we have lots of documents about the intentions behind certain things. And then now it's a lot. But <laughs> So when it comes to uh, uh, Red Lightning, uh, was there a series of documents that make it black and white? What is the intentionality behind the mission, the the different programming, and so on, and so on? In the beginning, or or, or or was it more of just a holistic, ever evolving understanding without documentation? 
I think it was a holistic, ever-evolving misunderstanding <laughs> of documentation. I mean, no, it's not something that we did. And it's something I, it's something, you know, and again, like I came in as a baby burner who had never really led anything uh, and was taught how to lead by the crew, uh, by the guys who'd been burning for like 10, 12, 15 years before me. And so I just kind of, uh, as somebody who was, very shy about leading. I kind of followed them. And then we never really did that. And then we tried to do some of that. And, and then we had some people kind of outsource some of that. And then, no, I mean, it was a big missing. It was something that, yes, I wish we had done that. And I didn't have, have the foresight or knowledge. And, and again, I think it started with several different intentions. Uh, so it always kind of just morphed into whoever was doing it that year. That's what we were doing. And, 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 that's been one of the wonderful things I've learned so much from uh, Genevieve at Mystic. She's an extraordinary, extraordinary leader. And, and just to see how she does put that manifesto together and things are in black and white and you sign off. When we had some like agreements we signed off on Red Lightning that I agree to strike and I agree to blah and do my shifts and not that. But with the way she does it is, is extraordinary high level and, 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 Mystic is a camp to learn from with regards to all of that. We did not have that. <laughs> that was so, a part. Yeah. So, so knowing what you know now, uh, as a former mayor of five years of Red Lightning, uh, how big was the camp? The biggest? When the you biggest were... was, uh, was 257, I think. 257. That's a lot of people. That's, that's a like a small company right there. Yeah. Uh, and you're also now uh, a participant of Camp Mystic, and yes. uh, you are also a founder, a co-founder of Rich Nuts, right? A, a rapidly growing company. Yes. So what are some of the lessons that you have derived from ultimately having effectively a second job, <laughs> right? Running Red Lightning, running Burning Man Camp. It sounds like you had to lobby a lot of different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without... Um, quote-unquote authority per se title right um so anyways what are some of the big takeaways and lessons that you can share with us i would say the biggest takeaways that i've gotten you know are what a what we've been talking about is having a nourished team is really loving your team you know a lot of companies a lot of the corporate world used to be just sort of like just get in employees you know and the number one is shareholders well, I think the number one is really like the people who are making your product that you're going to put in someone's hand, right? Mm. Love them, right? And that's really the big thing I learned at Burning Man and running a camp was like, oh my God, these guys are working their butts off and they're the one building the structure that people are going to come heal in, right? So I've talked enough about that, but that's number one. Number two. Well, actually, if you can double click on building the structure people are coming to get heal in, because that's something that. I think it's implied, but we didn't actually touch upon it. Yes. And we make a food product, right? So these are the people who are going to make food that someone's going to put in their body. And we actually used to use this. I use this metaphor with the camp. I said, you know, how do we pound our rebar as we're building this structure, right? Imagine you're building a toy for your child. And are you going to be cussing out the dust storm and the wind and, God, you know, you know, F and S and like, you know, cussing and yelling and screaming and, and all of that and, and getting enraging while you're building a toy for your child, right? So I would say, how do we pound our re rebar? It's not what we're doing, it's how we're doing it. 
and and are we approaching it with love and curiosity and when we come up against a challenge and this is one of the things i challenge the build crew with a lot when we come up with a challenge uh how do we fix it so the first year we built the mandala uh we had a massive windstorm and uh, there's a, a company called guildworks they're the ones who built our structure designed we design like we gave them a <laughs> I gave them a drawing on a napkin and they actually did the real uh, physics of the design and cut oh, okay. So it wasn't Samantha on her kitchen counter drawing oh, it out. No, I literally like drew it on a napkin and handed it to them and they uh -huh. said, okay, we'll do the design. Like I gave them the intention and they, they did the design. And of course we had input from the other members of the community. And so and then they put, they sent a crew to put it up. So they, it was all stretch materials and it's an art form with ropes and our center piece, which was this beautiful center cut shape ripped in half during mm. the day. So these three guys um, who uh, came with the Guildworks crew were amazing, like unbelievable team of guys, like worked their butts off. Um, with rope made this extraordinary beautiful twisted design to take the just to keep them all together but to take place of that and not a single person got mad or yelled or there was no temper tantrums and it was like this is what this is the ideal right oh this ripped okay there's a 60 mile an hour i think there was an 80 mile an hour windstorm that year we watched a piece of plywood cartwheel across the playa. it was insane right so and that was what we tried to achieve is when something breaks, when something fails, it's Burning Man, stuff's going to break. The generators are going to not work. Right? So how do we how do we meet that with generosity of spirit and, and curiosity as opposed to getting pissed off and throwing temper tantrums? Right. So so that is the whole point. And if you're building a structure for people to heal in, then you want there to be love and safety and and thoughtfulness in every single piece of rebar and rope in that structure. So that's what, how we tried to approach the build. And so for the company- so, so how do we do that though? How do, because in the moment, you know, let's say the example you gave, the piece of cloth ripped and opening night it's tomorrow or whatever, and pressure is on, so to speak, right? So then how do you in that moment still bring generosity and love and patience with each other when the when the clock is ticking and in the opening night is happening tomorrow a decade of therapy no <laughs> uh, well, you know you can say oh you can breathe and get into your body and where are your triggers mm -hmm. where are you in your journey are you able to go oh gosh i'm terrified i'm enraged uh i'm my ego is a flare, it's not gonna look right, or whatever your pattern is, are you able to become observer in that moment and go, yes, I'm enraged or I'm fearful or I'm embarrassed or whatever, and let's figure out how to fix it. And that's really, you know, for me, that's the key is like, okay, I'm freaked out, I'm upset, I'm angry or, or, or I'm fearful or I'm embarrassed or whatever that is, and, and how do we fix it mm. in this moment? And, and it's, for me, it's breathe, calm down. And what do we do to fix it? Mm, yeah. And so that's number one is mm -hmm. how do we do what we do? And are we mm -hmm. doing it with kindness and love and generosity and nourishing our people? And then I guess those are two different things. And then um, 
yeah, I uh, uh, completely lost the third one <laughs> right out of my head. But how are we doing what, are, what we're doing and nourishing our people are two of the really big things um, that I learned out there. Is there anything operationally that you help your people to maintain that tonality, that spirit, that, that ethos, that intentionality? Um, so I'll, I'll share a couple of things. Maybe that would jog your memory. So um, we had our mission printed out everywhere. So that way it's very, very clear. So when in doubt, I could just point to the mission. So they're like, hey, are we bringing that right, right now, right here and now? Another thing that we did that I wish we'd have done more of is to align our comp structure along um, our core value. Mm -hmm. I wish we could have done more of that, but that's something that we you know, have done. So we created a, we, you know, one big value at the time, uh, is fitness. So we actually built an entire gym. We hire, um, CrossFit trainers, you know, on company premises. And then we also did, um, uh, regional fitness competitions. So whichever team have lost the most poundage wins certain, you know, holiday in Hawaii or whatever the thing is. So basically we were trying to align all of the uh, employee programs along our core uh, value, which is health. Mm. When you have inner when you have health, then everything else builds on that. That's awesome. I love those programs. We are rich nuts is small enough where it's really, it's really four of us. Mm hmm. And so it's me and Richard, and uh, we have an amazing, my right hand, uh, Aaron and Richard's nephew, David. Mm -hmm. David was production. Aaron came in as our bookkeeper, but she's my right hand on everything. And we treat them as tribe, mm. right? And one of the first conversations I had with both of them was, um, I want you to feel like you can come to me for anything. If there's mm -hmm. a way that I'm engaging with you that doesn't work for you, that doesn't feel good, tell me. If um, there's something you don't know, tell me. Um, let's just keep a really open dialogue so that we can make sure we're working really great together. The most important thing to me is we have a great working relationship. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was, what do you need to what what do you need to expand yourself? Like, mm -hmm. is there a class you want to take? Um, mm -hmm. Is there a, a specific skill set you want to add on to what you already have that not only will help you here, but will help you if we if you decide to leave here? Like what will help you expand your capacities? Um, and then also both of them, we like for David, who runs production, one of the most important things for him is travel. He loves to travel. So we go, great, let's figure it out um, so that if you really want to go on a trip, we sort it out so that your work is done and we can still fulfill while you're gone, right? Um, that's really one of the most important things because we want people to be living a life that they love because then they'll be devoted. And, you know, David mm. just started to work with us because he needed some extra money. He was working for uh, a music company doing festival stuff and festival stuff had shut down during COVID. And so he needed a little extra money and he was a little bit shy and, but very smart, I mean, really smart. And so right away, we started just like dribbling a little extra. Do you want to be able to do this? Do you want to be able to do that? And that can help you as you move along. And now we might be moving our production to Alabama. He's like, I'll move to Alabama. I'll learn how to run a production facility. I'll, like he's 
completely devoted forever because he knows we really respect him and want him to enjoy his life. Um, mm. And so actually I remembered the third thing then, which mm. is surround yourself with really awesome people. Um, not only people like people who know more than you, I think as a CEO, I'm not about knowing everything. I'm about hiring people who know everything and then let, and then let me just build the team. Like if I can build a nourished team, then I don't have to know everything there is to know about CPG. I hire people who know about CPG and mm. just nourish them and let them feel loved and supported. Right. So that's hiring really great people, I think is a good thing. And also I would say the last thing I learned is really about understanding when somebody is in alignment and when someone's not in alignment. And that means values um, and all of those kinds of things. Like somebody isn't, doesn't want to be curious, doesn't want to work from a heart space, then, then let's, let's let them go to a more corporate environment where that's a more expected. Um, we need people who are aligned, but I how do you do that? Your, how do you do that? Because I, I would, I mean, I don't know you very, very well, but I use the sense I got from you is you really love people. You, that's one of your superpowers, right? So, and let me know if I'm projecting too much. No, thank you. I love that. That's my superpower. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 how do you determine someone's core value, their intrinsic motivation? I mean, uh, the way I would do it. You know, I, I'm a little bit more heavy handed. I like to do like surveys and like questionnaire personality tests and extensive interviews. So it's not as light, <laughs> but uh, how do you do it? How do you discern someone's uh, intrinsic motivation? You know, what they're committed to, what their desire, uh, lifestyles may be. Um, so this is, uh, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to loop in something. Mm. I've been in a lot of conversations lately about the movement about ca conscious capitalism. Mm -hmm. And we talk about feminine leadership. And one of the interesting things about feminine leadership is it's feminine. So it's not structured. So uh -huh. it's not one, and I'm a Virgo. So I love one, A, A1, B. Uh -huh. Like I'm a yeah. Virgo. I love that stuff. So I, yeah. I have a healthy masculine, um, energetic side. And when I, let me be clear, because I know some people get triggered by those words. I'm not talking about gender as much as I'm talking about energy, right? So we could say yin and yang. We could say, I don't know, organic and structured or something. <laughs> there, I wish there was a better terminology, but we talk about feminine energy because women, women tend to lead more towards feminine energy, but there are some women who lean very much into masculine energy. So I'm answering your question in a very feminine way. So it's going to go a little bit in a circle. So um, it's organic and it's like the ocean. And so you don't put the ocean in a three inches wide and two inches deep and four inches tall. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, yeah. so often some of these practices about nourishing your team or, or finding someone's core values, men will tend to go towards a matrix, a questionnaire, uh -huh. right? And, and, or I'm sorry, people who tend towards masculine energy might head towards that. And that's very corporate. 
Mm. Women or people who tend towards feminine energy may tend more towards, I need to feel it in my gut mm. right? um, or feel it in my heart. And, and so where you're very accurate, I love to love people. And I used to just welcome everyone in. And then six months later, I'd go like, oh, crap. <laughs> How am I going to get this guy out of here? <laughs> he yells at everybody all the time. And I'm afraid of him because he yells at everybody, right? So, so Richard and I really have to um, sit with each other because he'll have a gut hit in a different way than I will. We actually balance each other really well in that way. So we've had... Um, a couple of situations where we thought about bringing somebody on and he would have a hit and I wouldn't, and he'd be right. And then I would have a hit and he wouldn't, and I'd be right. So it's really about listening to the red flags and taking your time. Mm -hmm. I think that I used to be so quick to bring people on board and now it's about taking your time. And, and, you know, we used to do this with boards. Uh, I did a lot of nonprofit work. So mm -hmm. bring somebody on as a committee, bring someone on for a project, bring someone on for one project as a um, consultant to do a job and, and test that out. Now we're a small startup company, so we're able to do that, right? Uh, and, and feel it out. And really it's a feel out. Um, and yes, I know that there are people who could create really good surveys and really good interviews and really know how to do that. And that's probably something as a company grows in larger scale that people would want to take on because you can't just feel out, a, you know, 250 employees. Um, that's not, at least at this point, we haven't figured that out yet. Um, but I think your structure is good for a big company. At this point, it's really about is there a red flag? Am I feeling something in my body that's like, am I feeling a something's, something's off? Uh, and we're small enough, we can do that. So I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. <laughs> it's, um, uh, yeah, I'm not looking for the answer. I'm Noble Warrior. We're very uh, welcoming of the yin yang <laughs> energetic discussion because that's, yeah. you know, Noble Warrior is an extension of who I am. And I don't believe in one size fits all answer anyway. So I don't believe there's such a thing. So I appreciate the, the, the nuance uh, distinctions. I'm bringing it back to camps because um, I know we, we veer towards company building a bit, but Burning Man camps, I think is a really great um, platform mm -hmm. to get to know people well, right? Because, you know, it's the, the harsh uh, environment is a very good revealer of someone's uh, character. Mm -hmm. So, so you had talked about, you had talked about striking a good balance between mm -hmm. um, keeping the intentionality really high while keeping the rigor slash financial rigor in check, right? Mm -hmm. So is there something that you wanted to address for aspiration um, camp organizers about, about that? You mean meeting the budget? Meeting the budget, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and, and let me actually say one thing be, before mm -hmm. you answer. That yeah. is this. Um, I had no, when I go to Burning Man, I don't think, you know, what did it take financially to bring this camp to life? What I was uh, surprised 
uh, is, is that I found that most camps run in red. <laughs> and the founders, the organizers, they actually pay out of pocket to bring their gifts to the playa. So I was like, wow, you know, that's uh, number one, huge acknowledgement for the organizers who do that a la love. And number two, like, man, if if that's the case, uh, it's not sustainable for people that want to do this, bring their gifts, you know, to the playa. So if anything you wanted to say about that, that would be really yeah, great. Yeah, I love that you're asking that question. And I hope there's a lot of people who aren't camp leads who are watching this uh, because people don't realize what it takes to build a camp. And um, it's one of the struggles we have, especially with the bigger camps. And I am going to answer your question uh, because all these people like spend a year uh, uh, hiring generators and water and building and applications and all the things that it takes to get it there. And then there's an enormous amount of people on Playa digging trenches, laying power lines, building structures, building kitchens, feeding people. Like it's extraordinary the amount of work, you've seen it now, that gets done on Playa, on build. And when most people arrive, they just think, oh, here's the cool show, right? And most people are used to festivals where that's hired staff, build the show, and it all goes off without a hitch. And most people who, if you haven't been on build or you haven't sat in hours and hours of meetings before Burning Man to know what it really takes to build it, you can't blame them for not knowing because it's unfathomable until you actually walk through it. Um, so yes, it costs far more than the camp fees that we charge people. And when mm -hmm. you think about it, camp fees, I mean, at Red Lightning, we had a 222, a 333, a 444, and a 777 and a 1000 or something, right? And the 222 is for build crew. Now this feeds you for two weeks. What vacation can you go on where you get fed really good quality? I mean, you've eaten the food, both at Red Lightning and at uh, Mystic. Food's awesome, right? And for the amount of money you pay for food, it's incredible. Like, and often people are a little miffed if it's getting over three or four hundred dollars. I'm like, you're getting fed for a week and power and water and showers, right? But still, the it, for what we pay in camp fees as campers. It doesn't, it doesn't cover the costs at all, but most camps try to keep it accessible and mm -hmm. especially the people who are there working hard. Um, and so you can get creative. Now, it, I don't know if you're going to go into the plug and play situation. Yeah. We're going to talk about that next. Yeah. yeah so mm -hmm. we, we did a, we did something that at red lightning was we did a thousand dollar camp fee for people who said, look, if you can afford to throw a thousand bucks, can you throw us a thousand bucks? Right. And maybe you can do one less shift, which gets a little transactional, which the burning man or doesn't love, which I completely understand. Right. Um, and then, or there was no, uh, we did no pre burning man work. Like you got to come to a, come to a work shift. If you paid, $333, you got to come to two work shifts before Burning Man and help us do whatever. So that we structured it a little bit like that. Um, but we did what we called a Mukti program. A what program? Mukti, which was Sanskrit for liberation. Okay. So instead of it being a plug and play, we uh -huh. are going to liberate you from your notion of the default world. <laughs> uh -huh. Very creative. And we're going to train you 
how to be a proper burner, uh -huh. right? So uh -huh. you're going to have a burner buddy who's going to talk to you about costumes and what to bring and like how you're supposed to bring your own fork and knife and, and we're going to teach you how to move. And, and yes, we're going to have a little tent for you with an air conditioner in it uh, uh -huh. or, or in our, or a trailer, we had trailers. Um, but you're still going to have to do shifts and we're going to, we're going to put you all together on a shift together. So you uh -huh. all got to go and peel potatoes in the kitchen and it's super fun. And then you get to feed people. And we're all going to love up on you for feeding us. So we had Patrick Pichet, Google CFO, who'd uh -huh. been to Burning Man plenty, but he's like, I'll do your Mukti program. He and his wife came, loved serving people. And uh -huh. they showed up, they flew in and walked. Mm -hmm. We were on the nine o'clock side. They oh, wow. walked with their luggage. And I was like, I would have sent an, an art car for you. And I was like, no way. You're not going to send an art car for us. We're going to walk across the playa and enjoy the playa. I mean, <laughs> the coolest people ever. Like, love uh, them. Because, yeah. and when we needed a little extra money, they kicked us a little extra money. They're awesome people, right? So we did these quasi plug and play, but it was like, no, you're going to work. And yes, we're going to bring you a bike, but you're going to costume your bike. We're going to bring you all sorts of stuff. And mm. we're going to like help you. Like we're going to have one of our creative people be like, come on, let's deco your bike. Let's have a good time. So where we, and, and those cost $5,000, mm -hmm. right? It cost us about a thousand dollars to put them together, but that gave extra money for, and the first year they cost us, it, it was at cost because we had to buy the tents and the beds. But after that, it cost us a thousand dollars pretty much to help them do everything they needed to do. And it was great. And, and so that helped meet the budget. So if you want it otherwise, what other camps do is they just load the camp with more people, mm -hmm. right? Yep. They're either loading. And I think that was the question you were getting at is like, well, if we add an extra 50 people on, you know, at 400 bucks a pop, then you can see how that could add to the budget. And so that is where the crux point lies. Cause then if you add to the budget, then you create more work for the kitchen and you create more work for the, the, the uh the power people and the water people and the the showers and then you create more work for the placement team and you create more work onboarding all of these people so so you can either onboard with more people or you can get creative and and raise money in other ways or you pay out of your own pocket <laughs> so yeah i mean i i really like that creative solution um Actually, I love it. I actually never heard that before. That's really, really cool. Because I've heard the all or nothing, whether it's like full plug and play, like, hey, you pay, you know, I don't know, tens of thousands or whatever the, the, the camp fee is. And then it's plug it, full plug and play. Or you do the DIY. I haven't really heard the middle way. As you can imagine, I really love the middle way, right? This is creative. This is still embracing the the Burning Man principles, and at the same time, also alleviated the um, the financial pressure of um, coming up with the budget of um, camp organizers, because it wouldn't be equitable or fair if camp organizers every year have to put in money mm -hmm. out of their own pocket, you know, in my mind. So, you know, so I love it. That is really, really cool. The middle ground. Anything else you wanted to say about, you know, maintaining financial rigor? Uh, uh, meeting budgets while we keeping the intention really high. <laughs> we never did. Never did? No, we didn't really because I did not want to keep raising the amount of people in the camp. And I didn't mind. I had, you know, I was someone who could afford to kick in a little extra. And I would, there were certain 
there were certain campers who worked at the camp very hard who couldn't afford to come and pay their tickets. And I would essentially the way I made it work is there were certain people I would just pay for to come. And mm. then certain camp, certain tickets I would pay for, uh, for people who worked really hard. And then, you know, occasionally we would get people to donate a little extra money and I would donate a little extra money. Mm. Mm. In, in order to keep it in the black? In order to keep it in the black, right. I mean, mm -hmm. is it really keeping it in the black if I'm just betting? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> right? so, and I felt like for me, it's a, like, for me, it's a gift. Like I, if, it was a gift to be able to learn leadership skills through this camp and to do yeah. work. I mean, I was first on last off three years in a row for yeah. our camp. I was there Monday. I was there till Wednesday of strike. I mean, it was grueling, but it was the most, one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Yeah. So for, so for someone who is an aspirational camp organizer who is hearing all this, is thinking, oh my God, this is a huge daunting undertaking. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to take that on. I don't want to go into the red. I don't want to you know, work, but have a second full-time job. What would you say is some of the, um, you know, happy accidents, you know, something that you never thought you would have gotten uh, had you not done. Yeah, you know, yeah I would say we fail to educate our campers. Mm -hmm. And if we educated our campers in a loving way, not in a like, you don't understand, we're at the last minute and we're out of money and blah, 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 in a really loving way. Okay, we're coming into this camp. We're going to try to keep these camp fees low. Right. Mm -hmm. But here's what it's going to cost us. So who has extra to kick in? Who can help us? Who can re-recruit? There are a lot of people with enough resources to come into the camp and say, you know, we'll help you. We'll do something fun for you on the playa. Help us out. And there's a, and, and you want people in your camp who are generous of spirit anyway. Right. So I would say, get creative and be really transparent with your campers. This is super expensive. We're going to try to do this inexpensively, but if we want X amount of people, this is what it's going to cost us. Do you all want that? Or do you not want that? And, and, and I would just say, be transparent in a, in a fun loving way, be transparent and then see what shows up because you'll get campers. who will kick in some money. Mm. Yeah. We'll I think get the, drive your RV there for you and uh -huh. stock it with food. Can you give us an extra couple grand or whatever? Yeah. Like get creative. Yeah. I think a fun and loving is the, the key phrase. And then that's who you and Richard are. You're just fun and loving people. Thank you. So um, anything else that you feel like we haven't touched upon that you're like, hey, you know, this is something that I think people uh, who aspire to start on camp you know about i would i would only say and it just kind of dribbles into the plug and play thing mm -hmm. if you plug and play someone you actually rob them of the real playa experience right so that's one of the biggest problems with these plug and players is they don't realize they're paying 10 20 30 40 50 grand to have everything taken care of for them and they're being robbed of their experience so if you want to do a camp and have a couple of people that you plug and play or if you want to do a plug and play, don't, don't do a Burning Man acculturation program 
where mm. you train people to be proper burners and make it fun and creative and interesting. Cause if all these people want to be cool and hit their bucket list and they want to be an OG burner, they don't want to be the person who's being laughed at for taking, you know, selfies for Instagram, you know, and that's all they're doing at Burning Man and complaining that they're, art car didn't arrive on time or that their coffee delivery service didn't happen. <laughs> like you will rob people of their experience. So, so like create a burning man acculturation program for somebody who feels they can't get themselves there and lovingly, joyously teach them, you know, yeah. help them get there and teach them and say, okay, it'll cost you 25 grand, but we'll help you. And we'll, you'll have a helper drive with you to drive your RV there and, and don't, don't give them maid service. Don't make their bikes for them. Make them do work shifts. Make them say the coolest part of Burning Man is coming on build. It is actually. I, I would. I would. I would be the second to attest that. Yeah. So, like, you want to especially, especially for those who are looking for a transformational experience. There's yeah. nothing, in, in, in my opinion, humble opinion. There's nothing that's built relationship faster than shared hardship. You want to build relationship with people in your life, go to build week. Yeah. In my opinion. I could leave on Thursday of burn week. The past five years, I'm like, I'm complete. <laughs> I yeah. stay, but but yeah, the best part is build. Say more about that. Because for people that's never been there, like here, here's something. So my family has never been to Burning Man. So for them is insane that I would pay money, <laughs> thousands of dollars, right? Travel long distance. <laughs> to go to a really hot and inhospitable place where I need to bring my you know, water, nutrition, whatever, shade structure. And 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 I want to do work. Work your butt build, off. Um, um, build week. <laughs> so for, for people who are listening who can't really fathom what is the benefit, what's the allure of doing this, if you can articulate a few words. Sure. Uh, there's nothing like getting there when nothing is there and slowly watching it build up. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. And also like building anything is it's like building a house, right? So you're building this camp that is going to be a place for people to have extraordinary experiences the following week. That's one piece is watching the city grow and watching your project grow. The second piece is you mentioned it, the community you build and especially so i run nourishment at mystic it's my favorite thing to do uh so i run i we call them the fluffers there are energetic fluffers uh <laughs> and um we just get to love and nourish the team and then like imagine a small group of people who've worked really hard all day long sitting around a fire eating beef bourguignon or lamb stew right <laughs> at the end of a day on build it's like amazing food and around, uh, I have a little campfire, um, a propane fire under a shade structure with blinky lights. And it's this nourishing, and we always have a camp nearby that's not prepared that we feed on build week that we, you know, red lightning, we would bring over our neighbors. Two girls would show up at pink heart all the time, two days before everyone else would be like, come on, you're sleeping in my RV. We're feeding you. And it just, it makes such beautiful tribe because you are wor working so hard together and you all collapse on your chairs as the sun goes down and you know have maybe a boochcraft or a, a, a beer or just water and have a luscious meal 
and just really bond beautifully. Um, and we had an extraordinary program at Red Lightning. We would we would play a game called If You Really Knew Me. Um, mm -hmm. You ever played If You Really Knew Me? Uh, if you ever really knew really me, knew? you wouldn't you would know this and that about me, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's yeah. got to be something random, not like, well, you know, I I work for this company. Yeah, we already know that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like I used to always say, like, I love broccoli. Like, I can't live without it. Like, be something silly, and then you do a couple of rounds around the table, right? Or uh -huh. um, you know, and it, it people bring up funny, fun, weird, interesting facts, and it would just be you know a silly game of if you really knew me around the campfire. So things like that, that just make it really super deep. And you're going through, like you said, shared struggle, right? And people break down. People like get confronted with stuff. And with, like you said, the heat and the dryness, people get super confronted working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. really hard out in the in the dirt and the heat. And so, so you get to know people very deeply and very well. And people hold each other and love each other and nourish each other. And it's, it's glorious. So yay, so Bill. So, so I have something very specific I want to ask you because you and Richard are a beautiful couple. It's very inspiring to actually seeing you inter interact with each other. Thank you. Burning Man typically reinforce relationships or break relationships because yes. of its, you know, intensity, right? Physical, emotional, all these things, you know. So I'm curious to know how... Um, how how have you and Richard not only survived but thrive in Burning Man? How many years together, and then how many burns together? So we've burned together since 2012. Yeah, wow, uh, that's ten years. Uh -huh. He and his wife at the time, Zimona, uh, came to Red Lightning, and they were all part of my crew, and we were all really good friends for a long period of time, and they ended up splitting up, and we fell in love in 2016. And we asked her permission beforehand if we could go down that route, and, you know, after they had split up and it was all good. Um, and I would say first and foremost, we had vetted each other for four years at Burning Man. We had been friends at Burning Man. And I remember he and his best friend, Johan, were two men that I would always go to when something was amiss in camp. If there was a man who needed support, who maybe wasn't acting in his highest self, if there was a real problem, I would go to them immediately. And because I knew that they would handle things in a very grounded way. They were two men that I always deeply loved and respected. They were best friends and roommates. And uh, and they came in the bus together, um, the bus that Richard and I now own. And so Richard and I had already pre-vetted each other. And we had seen each other through really difficult things. And so when we're at Burning Man, we also are highly communicative people and we both really care about things going well. So when we see each other struggling at Burning Man and we both know it's a struggle, we know how to communicate with each other. What do you need? How can I support you right now? Are you feeling a little crunchy? Do you need some support? Um, this year, Richard knew that I was struggling with my body image this year on the playa. I was, I was having my own struggle with being around all these really young, beautiful, sexy girls. And I, and I bump up against body shaming issues from my own childhood stuff. And, um, he decided that he wanted to, his intention for Burning Man was to be in complete devotion to me in a way that I would know it and feel it completely. Mm -hmm. And so everything he did was in complete devotion to me so that I would know that. Right. And 
he one of the things with him is he struggled because our our um redundancies fell apart as i said in the beginning like the generator for the camp broke down but then our solar failed and our camp our bus generator failed and instead of being like i told you we should have checked that thing i just was like i let it go because he knew he already knew he already knew like our i did not have to go like it's not working it's not working so rather than like niggling him about it how can i support you what do you need how can we make this better right so we both do that for each other right he notices that i'm struggling with one thing and he goes into a mode to support me i notice he's struggling with something else and i go in a mode to support him and i think that's the big thing is like if you think about it rationally and consciously this is a difficult environment right oh, I'm in a grumpy mood. I better tell my husband I'm in a grumpy mood and make sure I don't grump at him because I love him, right? <laughs> right? He's struggling and he says, oh, I'm feeling grumpy. I need some support, right? So you just have to be thoughtful and conscious and curious. It's kind of the same thing as everything else. Curious, you know, mm. how can we make it better? We've never actually struggled on the playa with each other. We've always been. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Yeah, we've never always, you know, heard I mean, that before. We struggled, but not with with each other as a couple. I understand. Yeah, we're yeah. uh, you know, you we want to be, we just want to love each other. Like we don't want to argue with it. We love we love each other. We're just like, ew, I don't want to fight with you. When we've had our arguments and we've had a couple of big ones in our in our six years together, it's like this is awful. This feels horrible. How do we not do this? Mm. Um, so we we have a lot of practices and tools and you know so just, for so for the couples that are thinking about going to burning man together what do you say to them good luck no i mean like <laughs> I, I, I call. Uh, no it's just like really get your practices down mirroring yeah. i mirroring is one of the best practices you can do and i we learned it through the imago training which was fantastic mm. and we practiced it with great stuff so we practiced mirroring with each other on tell me all the great things that happened today. So by the time we needed the mirroring, we already had the skill. Um, mm. And I would say, if you're going to go to Burning Man, know that it's going to bring up everything that you're not dealing with. Mm. Like you were saying, like mutual challenge. Burning Man is a cauldron, as we talked about in the beginning, we're coming full circle. It's a cauldron and it's going to put right into your face everything that you're not dealing with. So mm. whatever's up, that you're not dealing with, it's going to be, where's the camera? Right in your face. <laughs> it's going to be mm -hmm. right in your face and you're going to have to deal with it. So, oh, this might come up, this mm -hmm. particular issue. So think about it beforehand, talk about it beforehand. And remember, number one rule at Burning Man, if you're grumpy, if you're mad, if you're upset, hydrate. You're probably mm. not hydrated. Hydrate, sit down, get in a cool place and breathe. Mm. Then go into your tools. But number one, if you're angry, pissed off, scared, whatever, hydrate. Number one. Mm. I love it. Samantha, obviously, we're going to send people to richnuts.com, yeah. right? That's, that's, that's where all the, yeah, all, the, all the magic happens. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to say? Last thing you want to say before we complete? No, just really love, love, love what you do and love what you're committed to, that you're committed to bringing forth these really important mindful intentional issues and uh sharing with the world i i love spending time with you i'm glad you're camping with us and let's camp at burning men together again Woohoo! 
Uh, Samantha, let me just take a moment to just thank you for sharing your experience, your your wisdom, and the beautiful stories that you brought. You know, I think they hear me say enough of Burning Man. You know, uh, the esoterics of transformational experience, the containers, and everything. It's so cool to hear from you. Thank <laughs> so you. thank you so and much. I'm an old here. world Southern girl who went to Smith and boarding school. So I'm not kind of not your typical burner, but you know, so you hear it from someone like me, it's kind of a different perspective, but thank you for thank having you so me. Much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and inspire you on your journey towards purpose. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of this episode with all the important links at noblewarrior.com forward slash episode number. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you. So share a review on Apple and let me know what part of this podcast episode resonated with you the most. Remember, your higher self constantly points you towards your purpose. And now is the time to take action towards that.